0: 0818 715 815. Hello, good afternoon, and you're very welcome to Liveline.
1: 51551 text as always. Margaret, good afternoon. On Monday, we were talking to uh, Inya Bunyan. She was talking about the demise after 50, 56 years of the Widows uh, Association of Ireland, and uh, we were contacted, among others, by Marilyn Proctor who was the daughter of Eileen Proctor, who set up the organisation. An incredible, an incredible achievement in the 1960s, before phones and the internet and those connections. But Eileen had been widowed very young. And in the course of the conversation, Marilyn uh, reminded us that because Eileen, the widow's pension was so small, £7.50, uh, seven uh, £7.10 shillings at the time, because the widow's pension was so small, Eileen had to go out and work, and a lot of widows had to go out and try and hold down two jobs. So uh, a number of her children were uh, fostered out or with the phrase, in, in Dublin, often was farmed out to other uh, very, very uh, helpful relatives, and uh, Marilyn herself was uh, living with her aunt. Now, um, Margaret uh, is on the line. Margaret, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jill. Thanks for having us on. And as Enya pointed out, a lot has changed since the 1960s in terms of entitlements. But you want to highlight that there is a payment uh, in in existence that could help, if it was around them, which it wasn't, that could have helped the Proctor family. What, What is it called?
2: It probably wasn't around then, John. No, I know
1: um, it wasn't. I know it wasn't.
2: Uh, it's called the guardian's payment. It's oh. it's basically the orphan's payment, but it's payable to anybody who's looking after a, a relative full-time. Um, and you ha- you have to, you know, obviously apply for it and be entitled to it and all the rest of it. Now, there's a lot of stipulations mm-hmm. around the payment, Um But, uh, I mean, it's not even just that people don't know about the payment nowadays. It's people don't know about kinship carers and the relatives that are out there looking after, you know, children of their their relatives.
1: Okay. now we are specifically, just so we don't confuse it with carers, we're specifically talking about uh, family members or extended family members who, for whatever reason, uh, uh, take in... Children which are related to them but are not their direct children, isn't that correct? Yes. Okay. Exactly.
2: Yeah. Now, there is formal kinship care where um, the care is arranged through TUSLA. So they're basically children that are fostered in the foster system yeah. by um, members of their family. But informal kinship care, which happens a lot because, you know, a crisis can happen anytime time. Okay. And a relative steps in, whether it's a sibling, an aunt, grandparent, okay. and they take the child out of whatever situation the child is in and uh, they look after that child then. And, I mean, many of these children have all sorts of... Uh, needs, you know, yeah, whether yeah. it's they're traumatised or It's the, the same as children in, in care exactly the same kind of thing, but unfortunately uh, kinship care is invisible the, like the people doing it are invisible and I'd say many of them out there don't n- even know that they're kinship carers. I certainly didn't until I came across Kinship Care Ireland um, I just mm-hmm. stepped in because I needed to and I kind of you know, was in the dark for a long time, and then bit by bit, I found out what I should do and you know where I should turn to. But uh, there's estimated to be just over ten thousand children in kinship care in Ireland, wow. and of that, there's only just over a thousand. No, sorry, two thousand. Um, there's two two thousand nine hundred mm-hmm. uh, living with one thousand seven hundred and sixty eight carers. And um, they're the ones that are getting the the, the payment. The rest okay. of the ten thousand children don't get anything. But Pro- c- possibly because they don't know that their carers don't yeah. know that the payment exists.
1: Okay, so who or, who is entitled? Obviously, there's an age limit. Who is entitled to it?
2: Uh, the child has to be under 18 or okay. 22 if they're in uh, full-time yeah. education. Yeah. Now another bone of contention I have is to qualify. Now this is guardians' payment, not orphans'. But I think basically what they did they took the orphans' payment and just you know scribbled out the name and put in guardians' payment mm. because to qualify. Um, Both parents must be dead or one parent is either dead or unknown or has abandoned and failed to provide for the child. Or the other parent is unknown or has abandoned and failed to provide for the child. And the child is not residing with a parent, adoptive parent or step parent. Now most of these parents who find themselves in these situations haven't abandoned their children they just are unable to look yeah, after them yeah, and that's a big yeah. difference and the people that are looking after them are guardians and guardianship means taking on the day to day parental responsibility which is what we do Okay. but whether a child sees their parent every day once a week once a year whether the parent is, is contributing financially that is not taking on parental responsibility and it's certainly not abandoning their children I think it's an awful
1: uh, yeah, phrase. To you. Even even orphan is an outdated phrase. It's, 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 it's dreadful. So it it's says uh, ab- abandoned or failed, isn't the phrase?
2: Abandoned and failed.
1: And failed to provide okay.
2: for the child. Yeah, and in most cases they haven't. They they've they could have mental problems. It could be addiction. Yeah. It could be anything. And none of us know. You know, mm-hmm. it could happen to any of us. And and then Margaret,
1: know, t- who who would make the decision that the child? And the child's parent, if there's one or two that are unable to care for that child, who would make the decision? Okay, I'm g- we are we are going to uh, allow that child become uh, live in an ex- with an extended member of the family, the granny, the granddad, the uh, aunt. The uncle nobody. There's no. There's
2: no uh, uh, government uh, input. The the, the the family member steps in and that's it and in most cases like the, the, the formal one is through Tusla, so they know okay. that you know the child's come to their uh, attention and it's placed with you know if if, if a, a, a kinship carer you know a member of the family comes forward and says I'm able to look after the child Well, obviously that's the best thing for them to be with a family member where they you know can carry on with their school um, yeah. probably yeah. the area they live in their friends and that and, but they have the same rights as children in foster care. Okay. In informal kinship care, it's where people step in, you know, because they feel they have to. And um, they and just look after the, the child and that's it. They, they just get on with it. And would, they, really, they don't
1: would, would some people be afraid in informal kinship care scenarios that if I go to as saying, uh, saying I'm minding my... My daughter's child is now living with me because my daughter got is in hospital or in in care or in an addiction uh, rehabilitation. Um, would they be a bit worried if I go and declare that I'm, I have the child? They may take the child off me.
2: Oh, there would be that. There would be that fear. That w- there would be, and to be honest, I doubt very much. Tusla would want the kinship carers to be carers to be, you know, uh, channeled through the Tusla system either through the care system because the, you know the care system at the moment is under huge yeah, pressure. pressure yeah. And I mean, if the children in kinship care were to, you know, be streamed into that, um, it, it would just collapse.
3: Yeah. It really okay. would, and okay. this
2: is the thing that the army of of relatives, and they're mainly grandparents.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. and
2: mainly eighty four percent are are female. So you know, if they were to say in the morning, "Look, we're not doing it anymore," the, the country would, the, the the system would be on its knees. And like when you think of the the work and the value of the work that these people are doing,
1: that's incredible. It's,
2: it's absolutely you couldn't Good. you couldn't begin to quantify it, and I mean. I'm okay. I uh, was able to find out, you know, about other people and get some support and all the rest of it. But I know in my heart and soul there's people out there who are in much worse positions. Mm -hmm. Like they might have two or three um, relatives with them. Some of them have babies. Some of them are older than me. And I really don't know how they do it. I I take my hat off to them. They're absolutely amazing. And I I did uh, note that the other day about that that girl being yeah. uh, looked after by her, her aunt. aunt. And I yeah. said, well, now that's very, very funny. Like, and lots of people have been. And it's, it's fantastic. But we do need support. We do need a bit yeah. of recognition because, you know, so, everything you hear, they talk about single, single parent families, um, you know, same-sex couples. Mm. Everybody is spoken about except us. And... As I say, these people are—they're giving so much back to society okay, and so, to these children.
1: So your 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 grandchild ends up living with the granny. Um, yeah. what, what's what's the next step? What office do you go to to get this kinship carers payment?
2: Oh, the Department of Social Welfare.
1: Okay, and what you just write to them and say this is
2: yeah, there's a there's a form online. Oh, okay. a form online that you download and you you fill that in. Now I sent as much information. I, I thought I had everything. I even had guardianship. So I thought, you know, I'd be mm-hmm. fine. But they kept coming back and coming back and they were looking for things from the parents, uh, doctors and things, things that I couldn't get because of GDPR. They were asking for the impossible, really. Now, I was told afterwards that I probably just came across somebody who was a bit, you know, mm. a bit of a jobsworth because other people had said so what So what,
1: well, what do you need to supply the state with to get the kinship um, carers allowance well
2: like I I provided uh, letters from the school from the doctor okay. um, the local resource centre um, uh, counsellors all that kind of stuff to, to to say that I had been looking after you know for the last
1: yeah
2: whatever it was uh, years yeah. two years yeah and um, I um, sent all that in and, and, and it didn't seem to be enough like they kept coming back eventually now I got it but, um, like, it was a hard slog and some people might be just put off and say, oh, look, I'm not, I can't be bothered, you know,
1: mm-hmm. I can't
2: be bothered doing it, you know.
1: And then, like, the, uh, I, I don't know whether you're aware, the Citizens' Assembly, which concluded at the weekend, one of their uh, recommendations um Uh, The government should recognise value and adequately resource the role of family members and, and extended support network in supporting people affected by drug use and their children. Kinship carers... For a lot of people that say it's the first time, they even read that phrase, Margaret.
3: Yeah. Kinship yeah.
1: carers and children should have the same rights as foster carers and foster children. And this should include legal rights and monetary rights on a non-means tested basis. So what is, can I ask, what is the allowance if you eventually get it?
2: Uh, the, the guardian's payment is yeah. 202. A week. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Okay. And what about children's allowance?
2: Yeah, you can apply for that. And in actual fact, I felt that, you know, anybody who's, uh, any relative who's receiving children's allowance, that should trigger, uh, you know, a, a notice to that person to say, look, you may be entitled to this yeah. payment, but it doesn't. You know, and the very fact that you're receiving children's allowance should alert them to, you know, well, I'm actually looking after this child to day.
1: Now, at any stage... Is the granny we refer to here? Is the granny interviewed about their suitability to look after? Oh, sorry, the no, it's not
2: my grandchild. no, it's the no, relative, a relative. I,
1: no, I'm saying, in given oh, that mo- most people seem to be seem to be grandparents in, the, in this oh, case, yeah, yeah. And is there is the relative interviewed as to their suitability? No. Okay. No. The, no. The,
2: in in the, in the formal kinship care, uh, the, the relative would be assessed and supported by you know. Uh, TUSLA and, and the Social yeah. Care Association yeah, yeah. but for us no it, it's not and like that you know who knows I mean they could come to me and say that child shouldn't be with you know mm-hmm. who knows I mean I think I'm doing a, a really good job yeah, but yeah. you don't know it's nice to have you know somebody's you know input to say yeah you're doing you're doing great Now, I did I did get it from the agencies that I did finally find and I asked for, um, you know, information and yeah. help and, you know, things that I could do better and courses. I did courses and that, like, because it's a long time since I've had young children, you know, yeah. Um mm you know, not everybody has access to, to that kind of thing, and not everybody has the wherewithal to go online and just put in yeah, searches. Um, and, um,
1: exactly, exactly. You're yeah, brilliant. You're, uh, an, you're an expert on this at this stage. Um, 0818 well, you 715 know, 815. I want to ask Margaret questions because um, you've, you've been you've been through it. Now you say you do need to supply paperwork, you do need to put the GP, you do need a, a local resource well, centre. I,
2: I kind of, yeah, I thought that, that that's, and I provided my guardianship, you know, proof of guardianship and all, all of that. I mean, I understand they have to make sure that, you know, people are not
4: using yeah, the yeah, system and yeah, all yeah. that. And
2: in fairness to the people in social welfare, they are bound by that description, that orphan's description, okay. which is kind of the, the nub of the problem, because most of these children are not orphans. They haven't been just abandoned yeah. by their, chi- their, their parents. Their parents are in probably in hell themselves, and want to see their children and want to get back into their lives, but due to whatever circumstances they have, mm-hmm. they're not able to. And to, to make them—I mean, I, probably parents don't read that, but I mean, I read it, and I feel that's that's not right. That's not right because, you know, in my case, the parents are great parents, they're, they're just Absolutely, not yeah. able at the moment. And uh, it's it just it just goes between me and my sleep now. That it just. Mm-hmm. It's just very hurtful, and I wouldn't like it to be said about me either. So I think the language really has to change. You know, yeah, I think here, it needs to, the whole thing needs to be re looked at, and, and I do believe Roderick O'Gorman is um, doing research into it at the moment. But I mean, this this was brought up as far back as two thousand and two. And here we are in 2023 and, you know, we're still researching it.
1: And, then you know, what, and in other
2: countries, you know, okay. kinship care, the term kinship care and, you know, all of that is well known, you know, mm-hmm. and, and all the supports are there and, you know, people are not scrabbling around. And I think at one stage uh, the Taoiseach said that he was going to make Ireland the best country in the world for children to live in. Mm-hmm. But I'm afraid that there's a long, long way to go to get these children up to any level of equality and, and it's discrimination it really is discrimination you know and I think the EU as well uh or is it the, the EU, UN one or other of them yeah. they're looking into it at the moment as well and have asked the Irish government to um to you know acknowledge kinship carers and to uh make sure that they're you know it's, it's put into law and that's you know well,
1: we have a we, we have a statement for, uh, pursuant to your call from the Department of children etc and they're saying we are in the final stages of completing a scoping exercise on kinship care um so they're 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 working on it now Margaret the the, the parent of the child either one yes. or two or both um do they need to uh, consent um or is well, that is that is that a is that a, a in terms of the situation that you were talking about? Consent doesn't arise because the child is is in a very difficult situation.
2: Yeah, I think mostly they they acknowledge that you know there can be there can be um, you know what would you call it. Um, Tension between uh, the carer mm-hmm. and, and the parents, because obviously they feel, you know, oh God, I failed, and I don't want to lose lose my child. Especially if, if people are looking for uh, custody or that. But um, you know, I don't know how anybody can do kinship care without getting guardianship, because no matter where you go, whether mm-hmm. it's the dentist, the doctor. You you know it has to yeah. be a guardian to give permission, and that's why I went for it. But in my case, the relatives were, you know, they were fine with it, okay. you know, they the, uh, and the, they knew that I wasn't going to, you know, okay. be keeping the child away and all of that kind of stuff. But and, I'm sure there are cases where yeah. there's tension because of it. But then you know, the the parents themselves could be afraid that the the carer would go to two and say, you know. um, this is happening, and so yeah. I'd say a lot of it is to keep it. And you see, people don't want uh, other people to know what's going on. Nobody yeah, wants yeah, people I mean, to know what's I going know. on behind their door, you know, um, which which is fair enough, and they shouldn't have to. They really shouldn't have to. But um, and it's great to hear that the the minister is is looking into. I, I had heard that, but mm. this is really just to to get it out there in in the public domain and to let the people out there who are doing the work know not to, that be, there
1: af- is not, not to some be afraid. Yes. and yes, no, not yes. to be afraid. Well you're doing wonderful work. You're doing the, as you said as you said, Margaret, if the blood relatives of children who need care didn't step in I know foster parents are absolutely brilliant. The parent oh, Absolutely parents but if the blood if, if the blood relatives uh, didn't step in on many occasions the the system would be overwhelmed.
2: Yeah, with young yeah.
1: people in need of care. Now, and I think it, I
2: think they they acknowledge that. I think they do acknowledge that. You know, the service we provide is invaluable, but unfortunately, the legalities and the you know it doesn't yeah. kind of doesn't stack up. You know, okay. so
1: okay well they're, well they they want in terms of the inf- youth providing this information is fantastic and one reassuring people reassuring blood relatives that we're looking after the, the, the children uh of of their blood relatives that they they should be proud of what they're doing it's a, a oh, challenge. Yeah. and they should they are they are eligible to states for state support for the children yeah yeah,
2: yeah. And okay. to stick with it. And the other thing is, if if they're refused for whatever reason, to contact Kinship Care Ireland if they if okay. they put that into Google, yeah. um, I can send on the the details yeah. and yeah. the phone number and that, and to get on to them, and they will talk them through what little is available, um, because you know when you've nothing, something mm-hmm. is is better than nothing, you know. And then there's support groups as well. Not very many, but there are some, and. You know it would just be great to get it out there and let them know that they're not totally invisible they're they're majorly invisible but not totally
1: okay now I'm conscious of what you said earlier that um people mightn't have access to the internet we could um um are, uh, have but kinship care Ireland. And we'd put all the details up on our website, and including now to see people mightn't have access to the web- website. And he's saying, "I put all your information up on the web on a website." Um, but they I'll, can
2: I, ring. Uh, yeah, Laura okay. is the, is the uh, coordinator, yeah. and she's very very helpful. And I have to. If they I, ring I,
1: her. I have the number here, and I'm going to give it out with your permission, Margaret, because it's yeah, on the website. Yeah. Uh, it's 087 1487124. If you, if, now, I can think of no better way for people to, well, they can talk to us if they want and, and listen to listen to people like you would become experts through experience. 087-1487-124. Um, totally confidential. Have a conversation. Don't be afraid of anything. Uh, you could be entitled, you should be entitled uh, to uh, state help. And that's Kinship Care 087-1487-124 um best wishes to you and your your relative and the, the children that you're you've looked after, Margaret, and above all, and we'll be talking to you again, I suspect, because I think as people realize because there was it was a phenomenon in in Ireland where children, if you read Ultherrand's uh, own life story, uh, Michael D. Higgins. He was um, he was raised by relatives. If you read the story of Barry Keoghan, the wonderful actor, exactly, he was yeah, raised he was, by he his was granny
2: and point. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: And and one yeah. you saw you saw the relationship between him and his granny and his auntie when yeah. he was on the Late Late Show there with Ryan a few months yeah. ago. It was incredible, the love. Yeah, and, and,
2: and it's, a, a, it's a credit to them, really. Yeah. But I can remember, you know, when as a youngster, um, re, uh, neighbors of ours, every second yeah. house had. A, a relative living yeah. with them for one reason or another. Yeah. And it was just, you know, a given. And, you know, part of me, you know, applying for the payment and that, I kind of felt a bit guilty. I kind of said, well, you know, this is my relative. I, I shouldn't yeah, be looking yeah. to be paid. But then, you know, <laughs> a year well, my, or so of living on a pension, I kind of thought, oh, God, I'm going to have
1: to. Well, my own. Are fa-
2: expensive.
1: My own father, Jimmy Duffy, James Duffy, he was reared by his aunt Kitty who was a spinster aunt, as he used to call her, uh, and he didn't live with his mother and father. He lived with his aunt, and the reason he didn't live with his mother and father is that they had too many children and not enough yeah. money yeah. to look after yeah. And he was raised... Yeah. Now, at times, I think he was spoiled by Aunt Kitty, um, as we used to say, because <laughs> <laughs> she loved well, him. Well, there, there, there is that. Yeah, Rob, <laughs> there's no harm in that, is there? There's yeah. no but harm the, in that. But
2: the other side of that, Joe, is that, you know, uh, uh, Say if, if it is a grandparent. A grandparent's house is where kids go to get spoiled.
1: Yeah, yeah. But when the
2: grandparent is the carer, yeah, it yeah. you know, it's very hard. I
1: know, I and I'd know. And I think some
2: of them feel, well, hang on a minute, those other grandchildren get spoiled far more than me, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, so it's it's trying to balance the yeah. what your relationship to the child is with being their guardian. And you I just,
1: know. I just, you you know, and I know Margaret from my previous life. The trauma of young children going into care, this, that, those first few months or weeks, and I e- even even though it. they're going into the loving arms, for example, of foster parents, but to 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 be able to go into the loving arms of a relative they know is yeah. just a, yeah. a joy, a privilege, an honour, yeah. and a gift. And a long, and, long... and to
2: be honest, I see it as a privilege to be had to have been trusted to take on this child and you know to be there every step of the way you know it is now it's tough um but it's very rewarding as well you know but but, you know thinking of of, of older people with say two three and and babies i it has to shorten your life
1: and we're not and and as um as the grandparents often say and we're not getting any younger no, We're definitely. It, <laughs> it's it falling off and going
2: going wrong and all sorts.
1: Yeah, now it is. It is part of many cultures, um, and I, I I presume I don't know. I know it was part of Dublin culture and Dublin working class culture, and I know it's part of African culture in different different countries where people do uh, different cultures where people do look after um, uh, relatives. But um, I'll give out the number again for kinship care: zero um, eight seven uh one Um is Laura is Laura from Kinship Care there. Laura. Okay. Well oh eight seven one four eight seven one two four. Margaret God, God, God's God's blessings to you and your family and best wishes uh to thanks, all. Joe, thank and uh hopefully and
2: thanks for Iron. Yeah
1: thank you for contact. And hopefully everything will come full circle sooner rather than later, Margaret. Great! Uh, thanks the, very much. The joys will be exponential for everyone involved. Thanks indeed, Joe at RT.ie.
0: I- I- Talk to Joe on 0818 715 815. Talk to Joe on 0818
1: 715 815. Now I mentioned earlier, and it's uh, we we did the Cantor Courthouse yesterday in 1916, the campaign down there. But I mentioned earlier that tomorrow Dublin City Council. Um, and the Lord Mayor will be there, and they, they will be uh, unveiling and opening, officially opening, and ma- I don't know if you have seen them, a magnificent new uh, set of uh, apartments, uh, Dublin City Council apartments, in North King Street in Dublin, just there at the junction of Church Street. And they've decided to name it uh, Sean Foster uh, Place after... The fourth child uh, that was killed in the Easter Rising, Sean Foster, who, uh, as you know, if you've followed it, um, he was killed. He was two years of age, and he was killed about fifty yards away from from uh, the this this new incredible public building. And it's a it's a historic day. And I happen to say that that Sean Foster's fourth cousin, fourth cousin, uh, Terence O'Neill, a magnificent man. Uh, he will be in attendance tomorrow. Now, he's in his 90s, obviously. He will be in attendance tomorrow. And I just uh, asked, "Is would, would Terence be the closest living relative of, uh, uh, of anyone killed in the Easter Rising? And uh, we were contacted by Thomas Owens. Thomas, good afternoon. Joe. how are you? Good. Now, tell us your connection with somebody unfortunately killed in the Rising. Well, my uncle Sean... Was killed on Easter Monday,
5: 24th of April, up to South Dublin Union. Wow. Uh, he would have been one of the first volunteers to be killed, actually, at the start of the rising. He, would, he was my father's uh, brother. Wow. So um, it's, so was your uncle? Yes. Uh, funny enough, yes. I think of the time scale, but... Um, my father was born in 1898. Okay. Um, and he didn't marry me mother until 1937. Okay. And then I wasn't born until 1947, followed by my sister Winnie in 1950. Okay. So I suppose that explains why we're uh, nephew and niece, uh,
1: you know, with the time scale involved. Even though you would never have met John. Obviously, now were you were you told about Sean Sean owns when you were growing up, Thomas?
5: Um, yes, kind of, um, because when we when I was born, um, my father was well, I was heading on for fifty or so. He died when he was seventy, and of course I was a scrolling up around the old Village and Paltry Street and out about enjoying yourself all the time. Right. So, we didn't kind of sit down and have intellect, intellect, intellectual okay. discussions yeah, yeah. about the family. But uh, he did say some, uh, we did know that uh, he was uh, killed in 1916. And
1: um, and what was his story? Know, he was 24. What was he? Was he working? Or?
5: Yeah, well, he, he was an, artific- an apprentice artificial limb maker. Um, That's all I know. I don't have any details about that. He was an an
1: apprentice artificial limb maker.
5: Yes. So he wanted a wooden leg. He probably was carved out there somewhere, I think.
1: (laughs) And there was, tragically again, there was a demand. We're talking about the middle of the First World War. Uh, we're talking about other accents as well but there was a demand for artificial limbs and he would have so been he was serving yeah. in, in an apprenticeship to a prosthesis
5: yeah he worked for a company called Fannins who were have yes. been around for a
1: long time still I don't are. Know they're still in existence oh, they are, yeah. down in Talbot Street a great company great yeah. company yeah. so, so um, and what else do we know about him was he married when he was killed
5: no no he was single he would have left number one to Coombe where uh his father, Jeremiah, was uh, a stableman, looked after horses for garage, the team, which was up in Thomas Street. And okay. um, he would have headed off uh, on that day where they would have mustered, I think, at Emberon Square, and uh, then on up uh, to the South Dublin Union, where unfortunately he was killed.
1: And the South, um, Dub- South Dublin Union uh yep. listeners is where the new children's hospital is effectively. Um, we knew the St Kevin's. No, it's
5: actually it's nearly the first entrance to the uh, James's Hospital. Oh, so be, out the be out the at the front. Be at the front. Yeah. Okay. It's very near where the Lewis stops. The, yeah. Um, okay. Okay. At the hospital. Yeah, the and, building uh, is
1: still there. And do we know what happened, to him, Thomas. Well, he was just out. Uh,
5: he was in among the fields and that, and uh, he just got caught, caught by. Uh, the torn fire, and um, he was behind bushes and stuff. But he was just yeah. unlucky. a lucky bu- bullet killed him, um, and that was it. He's buried, um, okay. which is something I want to talk about. Yeah. Uh, at the time, obviously, uh, the rising happened on that Monday, so there was no kind of uh, fancy burial. So yeah, well, there's no burial. Remember, yeah, yeah,
1: listen to any of the Sean O'Casey plays. Uh, the plough and the stars, probably the, 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 the most apt one. Remember, you were only allowed, there was only one person allowed to go to the funeral. Only one person. Yes, uh, I'm not sure of the history of back that time. Obviously, yeah, that was a, that was uh, it, there
5: was too much going on for yeah. any two families to really get, uh, get involved, but he did. Um, He was buried at the back of. What was Dr. Stevens' Hospital, which okay. is now uh, at the back of the, the HSE. So you cool. look across from Houston Station at the building, we're mm-hmm. always looking around the telly, uh, down around the back of that in the corner of a uh, garden, he is buried with another volunteer, Peter Wilson. Peter okay. was um, killed at the Mendicity Institute, and he was from the Fingal Brigade. And interestingly, uh, beside their grave is the grave of... British soldiers who were killed during that period. Some of them yeah. uh, Irish lads, which is quite sad. Yeah. Uh, but I have to say something, Joe? When well, I have the opportunity. Yeah. I, d- I don't think, um, and maybe somebody listening, uh, the grave isn't kept very well, in my opinion. It was up there lately, mm-hmm. and the, sto- the headstone was all blackened. Um, you know, when you see some of the other graves around the city for the for, uh, volunteers, I think this one is neglected a bit. So maybe somebody okay. would hear that and, and, and do something about it. And can you go in and see see your uncle's oh, grave? Oh yes, yeah, yes, okay. yes. And anybody can. If uh, you go right of that famous building, up along the side, okay. and uh, yeah, go in a little doorway, archway in a wall, and turn right and right over into the corner of of the garden area, uh, the two graves are situated. Uh, it would be no, I think John Bruton referred to them at some time years ago when he was talking about uh, the Irish and British thing and all that kind
1: And, of stuff. and remember there was brother and British army and brother in the volunteers and one of them might have been killed in 1916 and one of them might have gone on to be killed in the First World War. But there was brothers in arms who were, lots of them in Dublin as you know, Dublin well, to, to, to be fair to the Irish
5: lads in the British Army, they they didn't expect this to happen and yeah. they didn't even know where they were going when they were sent. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it was, it was really, really, really very sad. And a
1: lot, of the, a lot of them joined after the collapse of the lockout. And uh, they joined it because um, because of uh, uh, the money. Let, let, let's That's listen. True. We we asked um, the, the story of uh, this child that will be remembered, John Foster. Um, I obviously wrote about it. It was the only book that has been written about the children. It's out of print, by yep. the way, so I'm not plugging the print. You can't get the book. But... Um, the the, the the story of Sean Foster is in that book and we, with very short notice, asked uh, a nearby student here, A.J. Carty, who's only 15, from Colossia, Owen and Butterstown, to tell us the story of uh, Sean Foster, the child that would, yep. I think it's the first public building in the country that will be named after a child killed in the Easter Rising. This is A.J.
3: By Christmas 1914, Sean Foster's father, John Foster, was back fighting on the Western Front. Within months, he was missing. In May 1915, his distraught wife placed an advert in the Evening Herald seeking information about him. Private John Foster, 6903, D Company 1st Battalion Royal Irish Rifles, wounded in action October 14, returned to the firing line and was reported missing May 9th, 1915. His wife would be glad of any news of him through the editor, Evening Herald. Shortly afterwards, Katie discovered that her young husband was one of 103 Guinness workers killed during the Great War. On that Easter Sunday 1916, Katie continued on her way in the glorious sunshine through the busy streets passing Piers Red Brick St Lawrence's Hospital on North Brunswick Street and turned it into Church Street. The aroma of freshly baked bread wafting through Monk's Bakery, coupled with the roasting barley in the Jameson Distillery in Bow Lane, where her father, also Terence, worked, were the dominant smells that morning. But they were soon replaced by the whiff of cordite and sulphur. Sean, her eldest child, with long blonde hair, was sitting up in the pram. He was nearly three and no doubt the object of many admiring glances from passers by as he and his younger brother were wheeled towards the city centre. Shortly after midday at the busy junction of North King Street and Church Street, Katie noticed a group of men in slouch hats behind a makeshift barricade. Her surprise hardened into shock when she spotted her brother, Joseph O'Neill, with a group of rebel volunteers behind the barricade. Terry O'Neill, Joseph's son, reports that Katie, the eldest in the family, bantered with her brother about playing soldiers, telling him to get home. You're only fooling around. At that moment, a party of British Army Lancers on horseback were escorting a convoy of five lorry loads of ammunition from the Dublin docks along the North Keys to the Magazine Fort. Munitions depot in Phoenix Park. The volunteers under Padder Clancy could not believe their luck and fired on the unsuspecting convoy as it passed Church Street Bridge. The rising had started. Katie Foster was unaware of what was about to unfold, but her brother knew. Joseph shouted to her sister, Go home! This is serious. Katie raced with the pram towards the shelter of Father Matthew Hall a few hundred yards away. At that moment, a group of Lancers broke their escort duties and charged up George Church Street towards the rebel barricades. Savage fighting broke out. Katie was caught in the crossfire. As she fled into Father Matthew Hall, her brother heard her cry out, They've killed my baby! Christine Pepper, a competitor in the Father Matthew Fesh Real event, subsequently revealed what happened next. I had just taken my place on stage and the accompanist was preparing to play the opening bars of the reel when the heart-rendering cry of a woman echoed through the hall. The doors burst open and the woman covered in the baby's blood ran up the hall shouting They have shot my baby! The children were shepherded away and the fetch was abandoned. Two-year-old Sean Foster became the first of 40 children to die in the Easter Rising. A single bullet had hit him under the left ear, killing him instantly. Katie was never in any doubt that the bullet had come from the revolver of one of her brother's volunteer comrades. The Reverend George O'Neill comforted Katie, took the dead child from the pram and ran towards nearby St Lawrence's Hospital. Joseph later said, I watched from behind the barricades as my nephew's head bobbed lifelessly on the priest's shoulder. Sean was officially pronounced dead. At the hospital he had been wheeled past less than 10 minutes previously.
1: OK, that's the story of Sean Foster as read by A.J. Carty, 13 years of age. Well done, A.J., because we, we dragooned you with a very short notice from Claude Shaw in Booterstown We thought a, a, a young person telling Sean Foster's story uh, w- w- would be appropriate on the day that's in, at the eve of this unveiling. Uh, Councillor Niall Ring, Dublin City Council. Niall, good afternoon. Afternoon, Joe. And tell us, what, what is this event tomorrow and what is the building?
4: Well, well, firstly, uh, AJ sort of brought it right back life. It was like being there. It was amazing and, and really well done. The building, Joe, uh, is a 30-unit is a uh, Dublin City Council flat complex, apartment complex um, and as you know and as you describe it, it's absolutely magnificent. Yeah. Um, I, I was actually Lord Mayor when the facade when the was turned back in 2019 but before that I was very aware through publications like yours etc. Yeah. of the Children of the Rising and had a huge interest in that period and still have. So I put forward a motion that the building, the, the apartment block be named after Sean Foster. Yeah. And and all of my in fairness, all of my uh, council colleagues, in particular Christy Burke and Kieran Perry, who are on the commemorations committee, really came well in sometimes, behind yeah. me and we were supported because Joe, as you may know, sometimes we're given names of, of the apartment blocks, we're given names of whatever, but the heritage officer, who who does a great job. If we come up with a good name ourselves, they, they, in fairness mm-hmm. to the city council, they do change, and we've seen it with the likes of the Tom Clark Bridge the Rosie Hackett Bridge yeah, but yeah. this one is really unique and as you you did say it it's the only public building in the country named after a child who was killed in the 1916 Rising so it, it, it is really unique and it, it's right opposite Kevin Barry House and as you know Kevin Barry mm. was, was killed in uh, November 20 but it's it's just so it's so poignant that it's within 50 yards where this little fellow was was shot and we all recall the stamp in 2016, the commemorative stamp, and little Sean Foster was one of them, and a gorgeous little child. And you can only imagine what his mom went through. His mom, who was is, who is the actual aunt of Terry O'Neill, who's coming along tomorrow, yeah, yeah. which is amazing, as, as you were saying yourself. But it's just lovely to be doing this, and that when people pass that building, and it is a building you would pass and, and look and admire, mm-hmm. It's going to have the plaque and it's going to explain why it's called Sean Foster Place. And I think it just, it, it, it continues the memory of Sean Foster, which was lost, not among the family of the O'Neills and, and the Fosters, but was lost for the rest of us. And now right. it's, it's alive again. Unfortunately, Sean Foster um, isn't alive, but, mm-hmm. you know, his memory will be there forever with that building. So we're delighted that it's, it's happening and... Yes, um, congratulations to Dublin
1: City Council. Yeah, well done, well done. And a, I, I think, Niall, I know you said you think it's the first public building um, named after a child killed in the Rising. Is it the first, now I, I, I have in the back of my mind that I'm wrong, is it the first public building in the country that's named after a civilian that was killed in the Rising? I'm thinking, that is, is, I'm thinking of Francis Shee, Skeffington, for example. Is there a Skeffington House? But is it the first public building in the country called after a civilian that died, in the which is the majority of people who died uh, in the Rising? So stay with us now because other people yeah. want to come in. You. You. Um, it's at 11 o'clock tomorrow. It's in North King Street. It's a very, the, the, first of all, that junction of North King Street and uh, Church Street, one of the busiest junctions in the country. Uh, the spot across the road as you say, 50 yards away Way is where Kevin Barry was uh, killed outside Monk's Bakery. Um, yeah, which AJ
4: mentioned in his yeah. little speech yeah. there. Yeah. So it it's an incredibly
1: talk. historic uh, yeah. historic location. Okay, stay with us. Joe at rt.ie 51551 text.
0: Talk to Joe on 0818 715 815. Talk to Joe on 0818 715 815.
1: And I should know the exact story of Kevin Barry because I was told the exact story of Kevin Barry by my own granny, Agnes Carroll, who lived in 89 Church Street and she was there uh, on that fateful day when the uh, the, the soldiers from the Linenhall Barracks, again, down just off North King Street, now part of uh, the... the Toward level institution and they were collecting bread from Monk's bakery there was a, 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 an attack on them by a battalion of the uh, IRA and they Kevin Barry uh, was involved in that and Kevin in the in the melee, Kevin he's only 16 by the way Kevin hid under the the lorry and he had hoped that the lorry would drive away and he would get away but unfortunately as my granny used to always say one woman out of the goodness of her heart when she when she heard the British Army lorry uh, ignite fire, fire into action begin to move, she shouted, "Mind will you mind the child under the under the truck?" And of course they jumped out, and the child was Kevin Barry, and he was arrested, taken to Mountjoy, and as you know, one of the one of the most notorious events, uh, Kevin Barry was hung in in Mountjoy. Now Valerie Valerie Carry Valerie, good afternoon. Now Niall made the point that the 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 fact that the the presence tomorrow with this. Uh, unveiling of this public building in the name of Sean Foster. The presence of his first cousin is so important. It's not children who were killed in the Rising, obviously didn't have any, children didn't have any direct descendants. But what is your connection, Valerie?
6: How you doing, Joe? Um, actually, my great-grandfather was the first man shot down in the Four Courts. Wow. Thomas Allen was a volunteer in the 1916 Rising. All right. And... Um, he was 29 years of age. He was survived by his three sons and a daughter. Okay. And he, unfortunately, he was fatally shot, but I think the British had held off the nurses from going down to help the lads down yeah, there in yeah, the courts. Yeah. So as far as I know, his body was taken. Now, you can correct me if I'm Manor. wrong. It was Richmond, the Richmond Hospital. Yeah, that's
1: the same place and where you, Sean, Sean Foster was taken, yeah. Yeah, he would Street. have, um,
6: as I said, because my great-grandmother would have been left with four babies at the time. Oh, uh, as far as I know, he had only been promoted to lieutenant either on the morning of the Rising or soon run up to the Rising. And um, he was buried in Glasnevin, but a year later, because he was originally from County Meads, okay. his wife got the money together to bring his body back down. To meet, where they have a monument down there, oh, and and they the, the local IRA marched to his gravesite. He, he was twenty nine, uh, and he had four children. He had three sons and a daughter, and uh, the daughter being mine, uh, Eileen. Yeah. She went on to marry uh, one of the Harberties. And um, my uncle's actually, my uncle Keran was in the. 1916 celebrations there when they had it on in town but um yeah he was a very young yeah very young man oh, they incredible. all seemed to be very young god yeah, they yeah
1: sure very did. young They're you sure know were very young idealistic um, risking that and they knew they were risking their lives my god they, were, when they went yeah. out in 16 they really did they really did um yeah. so so what was he spoken about when you were growing up valerie Oh
6: yes, sir. Right, we, unfortunately, right. I lost my own dad at 65, uh, he passed suddenly. But my uncle Kieran is, our, he's our go-to because any of the children that have done, you know, history, they're really involved in the Irish history. So Kieran would be able to tell you all about the, even, I was listening there, you were talking about the widow's pension yesterday about a lady that, 1970 her pension. I remember seeing and. Um, Papers of the pension she had to apply, yeah. The Margaret had to apply, and like it was say a pence or five pence or something like that, you know, to keep her going with the children. Or,
1: I know, over I know. It. A, a pittance, um, a pittance.
6: He, he was definitely my father was very proud, he's very proud, rightly so, and
1: rightly um, so. Yeah. And uh, that's not that where the phrase the widow's might came from, it's widow's pittance, was what it was. Uh, Valerie. Oh, that's what it was. Yeah, Shane, stay. Say there, Shane O'Neill contact. Shane, you, your, your grandfather was where? Where was? Where was he? Was he was in the same place as Sean Foster, North King Street in Dublin?
7: Yes, he was. He actually lived in. Well, he lived on the keys in the census in 1911, but he did live in North King Street up to 1945. Wow. But I think he was in D Company, and certainly when I was a child or up to a teenager. He told me they were they were in our King Street, that they right, had tunneled yeah. through several houses and they were running from house to house. But I I, I heard another O'Neill family mentioned.
1: Yeah, Terence, the 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 family of uh, Sean Foster. Obviously, he's no direct descendants, but his first cousin is called Terence O'Neill. Terence O'Neill. But
7: but did she not say that there was a Joseph O'Neill? Oh, sorry, one yes, he officers. did.
1: Yeah, Joseph. Her brother. Her brother was there, Joseph O'Neill. So there was a Michael O'Neill and a Joseph O'Neill.
7: Yeah, no, I I I, I haven't a chance to look up I, I, I do have mm. some military records on the computer and I have senses, but I don't recall a Joseph. I know there was a Samuel O'Neill who was a brother. Okay. Um okay. but he was he was in North King Street uh during the rising and and uh I think Sean Houston was his overall commander. Yeah yes, know, um, the station But I I was just curious at the at the same family name. Um, yeah, I
1: well, so was it's a common name. That's the only thing it's a family as I discovered. But 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 Shane um and and so after the rising how how did he how did your grandfather Michael O'Neill how did he fare?
7: Well, one story he always claimed that they were the last volunteers to surrender. Okay. That that Father Matthew came down to them and told him that even de Valera had surrendered now of course political history I think de Valera would have claimed that but he always claimed and he yeah. didn't like de Valera because of this, that they surrendered because the priest persuaded them to um, and he was imprisoned in, in uh, Frangok in yeah. Wales
8: yeah.
7: and then when he came back he, he was obviously involved in the war of independence but he, he refused to participate in the civil war um, so that was a, a bone of contention I think in the family but he, he didn't participate in the civil war
1: and did he ever but say did he ever say why why
7: well he said he wouldn't fight against the many he fought yeah. with yeah yeah yeah
1: um, and remember that's what happened. that yeah, is but, that but is he, a great uh, tragedy
7: yeah and plus he, he was very fond of Kevin Barry he had a picture yeah. of him on his like, you know, in our house up to the 70s, he had a picture of Kevin Barry and he had a handwritten
4: note on the back of it. Yeah.
7: And um, he would have claimed they were going to try and get Kevin. Well, they knew they couldn't get Kevin Barry out and apparently he'd been so badly beaten when he was captured in the market yeah. that that they wanted to shoot him before they could hang him. But the oh, women God. apparently
1: took the guns from them.
7: Oh and stopped it because there were so many people praying
1: outside Mountjoy Jail. Yeah, that, that was, was another story he had. That was a massive, a massive uh, event. A massive event. Yeah. And you mentioned there that your um, your your grandfather uh, Michael O'Neill spoke about burrowing through the the houses on North King Street. And yeah. uh that was there was another child killed in 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 that uh, off killed by the British by the way uh, and it was it's known as part of the King north King street massacre and it was during the final two days of the uh, the uh, the the rising on the Friday in the Saturday, Sixteen civilian men and boys were brutally murdered by British soldiers on that line of houses. And the the volunteers were trying to escape by it, basically going through going through the walls. And um, there were some. Well, there's a lot of horrific stories, but there's another horrific story. That's yeah, the, but that, that tallies with the story yeah, he would have yeah. told me as a child. Um, well, he's lucky. Yeah, I to, know. He's lucky to be alive, be, and you're lucky to be alive, Shane. Therefore,
7: yeah. I know some people refer to that as being worse than Bloody Sunday, but it's not as well known because there yeah, were more was, people, more innocent civilians killed. North, uh, yeah.
1: sixteen civilian men and boys, including Christopher Hickey, I'd be aware of, and his father, by the way, uh, were brutally murdered. Okay, Shane, well remembered, well remembered. Yes.
7: Just on the other side, my my mother's father was in St John's ambulance, and uh, he was tending to the wounded in O'Connell Street. <laughs>
8: yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. It was all all yeah. all, all engulfing. Um, yeah. at that time thanks indeed Chain. Niall the yeah, event the, 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 councillor Niall Ring well done to you and the event begins at 11 o'clock tomorrow in North. 11 King, o'clock in Norking yeah. I see Foster are Foster and Alan uh, playing at it
4: that's right Foster and Allen are playing at it because uh, Foster they're going nearly 50 years at this stage but um, there, Foster's obviously related uh, somewhere along the line. We will okay. find out more tomorrow, but we have to give a shout out to the local history group, Terry Crosby yeah. and his crew. They have like been hugely supportive. Brilliant. And actually, across the road from the Sean Foster Place is the plaque to the um, to the, the North King Street, street massacre, massacre as well. Yeah. You mentioned Christopher yeah. Hickey there, who lived on the street. Yeah, I think he was history.
1: 14 or 15. So or that's something. and the but Lord the Lord Mayor will officiate. The Lord, Lord Mayor, Mayor yeah. Yeah. yeah, great, great. Okay, Councillor Niall, ring. That's tomorrow at 11 o'clock in North. King Street uh, in, in central Dublin joe at rt.ie 51551 text Talk
0: to Joe on 0818 715 815 joe! Talk to Joe on 0818-715-815. Tom
1: Fenton is a tour guide with it's a wonderful tour if people haven't done it. The Dublin City Ghost Bus Bus Tour. You've seen the bus. Go on the tour. And I know one of the places you stop is St. Audience, which is um just at the bottom there of Thomas Street, uh beside Christchurch. And there are there are sixteen small stones, aren't there? With the, each child's name. For sorry, forty small stones. With each child's name that was in in the ground there,
9: that's right, Joe. Yeah, there's a in, when, when just as you walk up the steps in, to enter the park in front of the church, there's a there's a, there's a stone there which says a, a, it's in Irish a, that playground dedicated to the children who were lost in 1916. Brilliant! And in front of that stone, there are several paving stones with names and ages of the children who were lost.
1: And you stop there, and what do you say?
9: Well, it's, 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 we actually move on to tell a story about Darkie Kelly, which, is a, which we won't go into now. But okay. this is, you pass you through there on the way to get... To the the site that we that we talk about. Very so well. as, as an incidental part of the tour, I just I draw the attention to the fact well that the that the well paving done. stones are, are from the children who were lost in nineteen sixty. Right,
1: well done. Well, and, and it's such a historic part of Dublin where you're talking about the wall, the the old walls exactly of Dublin. Right exactly, the wall in yeah, between yeah. the
9: liberties and and, and the houses.
1: Tom, who goes on the Dublin City Ghost Bus tour?
9: A lot of them will be tourists, but, yeah. but around Halloween, Halloween time we would get a lot of um, a, a lot of local natives
1: as well. And who runs it? Uh, Dublin D- Dublin Bus. Oh, brilliant, brilliant, And How many tour guys are there? Oh, there's about I think
9: there's about eight of us now, Joe.
1: <laughs> and do you go out once a night or twice a night or?
9: It's at, at the moment where I think there's four tours, four tours every night over the next couple of
1: weeks. It's not fantastic. I don't think that, as, as Michael can, I don't think a lot of people know. Uh, OK, well done, Tom. It's it's run by Dublin. I, I, just, because, I just had to ring in because
9: it yeah, well of to the to the paving stones where the children were lost in 1916.
1: That's 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 the, well, the reason why I uh, thought, thought well I send you the message. That's Tom Phantom. Good, to uh Tom, OK, Owen, good afternoon. This is, this is a situation where anyone aged between 12 and uh, 18 is an adult, according to who, Owen?
8: So it's, uh, according, well, I suppose it's Dublin coaches who we're, were trying to book bus tickets with. So yeah. my 15-year-old daughter and two of her friends want to go from Dungarvan to Dublin. Okay. Um, and we were trying to use Dublin Coach because they yeah. have a, a stop at the Red Cow and we can get someone yeah. to pick them up there, etc. We tried to book online and you can't book a ticket You can't book a reduced fare ticket for any child between 12 and 16. Well, 12 and 15 inclusive. Okay. Um, Basically, you have to pay a full adult fare.
1: Oh, so between 12 and 16, you're treated as an adult on Dublin Coach. And what happens if I'm, what happens on my uh, 16th birthday?
8: So, you can then apply for a young adult leap card and then you get half there.
1: So, so, the day after, the day after, the day of, the day of my 16th birthday, the fare I'm going to be charged on Dublin coach is halved.
8: Yes, that's right.
1: And between 12 and 16, fair. I'm treated as an adult.
8: How did that? Yes, how the, did that
1: limbo in, uh reveal itself?
8: Uh, ju- just that we were trying to book the ticket, so we, we were trying to book a ticket online. The girls, there's three of them going up, and uh, there was no option there to book it. Okay, the only option there is young adult or adult, and she doesn't qualify for so a young adult. So I
1: presume, adult. I presume it's a loophole. She's an adult between twelve and sixteen. You're an adult. And when you hit sixteen, you're a young. You get you get younger by the day. You're a young adult, and your fare your fair goes down by fifty percent.
8: Yes, exactly.
1: So it's not older they're getting these days; it's younger.
8: Yes, you could say that, yeah.
1: <laughs> In terms Now, uh, apparently, a, a lot of private coach companies who were not members of. Uh, TFI Transport for Ireland, their private company, great private company. Dublin Coach, you see them everywhere. They offer great services. They say we don't fall, we don't fall into that category. We've aligned ourselves with the young adult leap card and the student leap card. Uh, but the student leap card and the young adult leap card uh, stops at twelve and then begins again. The student leap card begins again when you're sixteen. So there is a loophole. Yeah.
8: Yeah, so th- there is a child leap card, but that's not accepted.
1: It's bizarre, isn't it? That the 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 uh, the uh, the younger, the older you get, the cheaper the fare becomes. And if you're age between yeah. no one else, no one else in the country says anyone between twelve and sixteen is an adult. But under this scheme, um, the the interalia, the state does. The state does. So what's what are you going to do?
8: Uh, well, we've no choice but to pay the, the double fare. So it ends up being €36 a head for each of the three girls.
1: And what would happen on the expressway?
8: Uh, well, that would mean they'd end up inside in the city centre and we don't have someone to pick them up. So, unfortunately, we'll
1: I know what you have mean. to go for the more convenient bus. Service. But, but as a Dublin coach say, this isn't a Dublin coach issue. This is a government scheme aimed at young adults and students um, and we've aligned ourselves to both the young adult Leap Card and the student Leap Card, but I'd love to hear uh, from a private company because obviously they're they're the ones that are being penalised as well. Why are the why is the loophole exist only for private coach companies? And a lot of them, and a lot of them are providing brilliant uh, service. I'm thinking of Wexford, I'm thinking of Cavanas, I'm thinking of all the other different uh, uh, companies. Okay, Owen. Um, it's 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 a. a it's not a funny anomaly because it involves money but it is a bizarre anomaly that if you're aged between 12 and 16 you're an adult but once you hit 16 you're back to becoming a, to being a young adult and the fair halves uh, automatically thanks indeed on joe at rt.ie 51551 is the text number
0: talk to joe on 0818 715 815 joe Talk to Joe on 0818-715-815. As I
1: say, and Margaret made the point there for coming from two positions at the start of the programme. One what was mentioned on the programme two days ago and also what's mentioned in the Citizens Assembly about kinship care. Laura Dunleavy is works for Kinship Care Ireland. Tell us what Kinship Care Ireland is, Laura.
10: Hi Joe, how are you? Um, thanks for the call. Um, yeah, Kinship Care Ireland was founded in 2019 by Katrina Nickworth, who's a kinship carer herself. Okay. Um, and we're hosted by the charity And um, Katrina founded Kinship Care Ireland due to, um, when she stepped into that role, taking on the care of her four nieces um, with a background in community development and a husband who's a community social worker. She figured she was equipped with the with the knowledge base to navigate a system. And when she realised that system wasn't existing, she set out to find Kinship Care Ireland. So we're hosted by Troor and based in Dublin. We're a small, small programme with a national reach. Um, And just to give context to some of what Margaret discussed earlier, um, we spoke about the the formal and the informal kinship care. Um, Internationally, formal kinship care and informal kinship care are identified as alternative care and both are formally recognised within social welfare and social support systems. However, in Ireland, that informal kinship care is not recognised or framed within any legislation or policy. So we have been engaging with the department around that policy development piece. Um, We were in the Oireachtas in September to raise that cross-departmental awareness and understanding of the specific needs and asks for kinship care families. Um, As you said, the Citizens' Assembly, we presented their... um, Earlier in the month, we were delighted to see that oh, well recommendation. Done. Oh,
1: you—you you actually went before the Citizens Assembly, did you, Laura?
10: Yeah, we made well a submission done. and we were
1: part of that done. panel piece. So well done. Well done. Good to see that being heard. Oh, that's fantastic. Um,
10: so I suppose just some of our our ask. Um, Margaret discussed the Guardian payment and the accessibility of yeah. that. To so give some com, some con, uh, context to those stats, um, in quarter two, forty-five new kinship carers engaged with us here and five of right. those were in receipt of the guardian's payment. In quarter three, fifty-five new kinship carers engaged with us, and 10 were in receipt of the guardian's payment. Many of those are in that role for over a year, and um, I suppose we, we've informed half of those about the payment. So, okay. uh, you know, there's not that awareness
4: yeah, um, yeah, yeah.
10: of the payment or, or of kinship care in general. So some of our key asks is that specific support pathway for kinship care to be developed in terms of access to social care, social welfare support, access to legal advice. There's a legal grace base for kinship carers. They have to be caring for a child for 12 consecutive months before they can apply for okay. guardianship. That means children are in a really vulnerable situation in terms of their rightful access to medical mm. support. I've spoken with kinship carers who haven't been able to access necessary uh, medical attention for, for maybe um, the impact of parental abandonment or some of those traumas and um, so we know the prevalence of the need for accessing magical support is higher amongst children with trauma or adverse childhood experiences yet yeah, the doors are closed in terms of that access services aren't wanting to turn away our most vulnerable children but their hands are tied in terms of in terms of that legality so we need specific policy in Ireland okay and how, kinship and how
1: do people contact kinship care I know there's a website yes. but I'm I'm very conscious of trying to give people phone numbers yeah, and
10: since you called out the number, I've had seven new callers and nice. um, since you called out the number there too. So it's that phone number, it's 87 or okay. info at kinshipcare.ie is the email.
1: And is there a, um, a, is there a postal address?
10: Yeah, so we're hosted by Thor, which is at 28 North Great Georges
1: Street um, right. in Dublin okay. 1. OK. All right. Well done, Laura, Dunleavy. Levy. I mentioned uh, Mick F- Foster and Alan are uh, turning up at this event tomorrow, uh, the uh, the opening of this new incredible uh, Dublin City Council uh, apartment in North King Street. And Mick Foster is on the line. Mick, good afternoon and Foster and Alan. Mick... Joe, how are you doing? So it's not just the name in common, you are related.
11: We are indeed. We are... in. Uh uh, Sean's father and my grandfather were two brothers.
1: I didn't know that. And Sean's, and, uh, Sean's father, oh, go on, tell us, he worked in Guinnesses, I think.
11: Yeah, I think the three of them, uh, not my grandfather, no, but Sean and I think two brothers worked in Guinnesses. I think they were part of the 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 Harriers, as in the running club, uh, whatever it was called yeah. at the time. I have a picture of it somewhere and I think there was three fosters in it. But I, I, I think to get in Guinness at that time, from what my, my grandparents told me, was that you had to join the the volunteers or, or the reservists or whatever. Yeah, so, if
1: if you, jo- if I, you worked in Guinnesses in 1914 and if you joined the British Army and you were called up, so to speak, Guinnesses would pay a small pen- pension, so to speak, to your to your wife. Obviously, you were at the front, and you were guaranteed your job back when you came back yeah, well, to uh, Guinness.
11: I think, think that's exactly what happened, and I yeah. don't think he was... Uh, I don't think Sean's father was able to get back.
1: Yeah, he was. No, he was, so. no, he was. And what but, happened to your grandfather?
11: Oh, uh, well, my grandfather he, wasn't a bother on I mean, him. He, right. he was a gardener in Barrett's town House, which is a kind of state owned now, outside yeah, Houston. Yeah. and Houston. Uh, but uh, Sean's brother, Ted, who was in the pram the time.
1: That's right. Uh,
11: I, I would have known him as a, ah, as a young fella.
1: Fantastic. Fantastic. And
11: uh, he spent uh, most of his life in England. Uh, but he used to be home and all this and he'd be up with my grandparents and that's where I used to
1: meet him as a well, young that's, fella. That's a fair I said Mick. It's a small ward, isn't it? Isn't that incredible? Oh very. Incre- very. And you're, you're performing tomorrow with Foster and Allen. Have you decided what you're going to sing?
11: Our, I think uh, Tony and myself are, are going to do a verse
1: or two of grace oh beautiful yeah beautiful. Uh, as far
11: as i know and and uh then we're doing a couple i think in the hall and, and my wife is joining us on keyboard so we mid- won't sound too bad
1: you know yeah okay okay uh this is this we play an egg well done tomorrow and i'm sure you'll meet loads of uh relatives tomorrow and um uh, t- 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 there to be loads of relatives tomorrow at the uh, at the event, but I. I'd, I'd, imagine, I'd, I'd imagine I'd yeah. imagine his his you know his
11: mother's people. I have never met any of them, but I'm I the I'm the oldest of the Fosters that lives. Right. The rest of them are all gone, you know. Okay,
1: great. See you tomorrow, so that's a great Mick Foster. We'll be there tomorrow.
9: Brave heroes and their enemies fell, civilians in between.